Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you find yourself fearful, maybe anxious about the state of affairs, maybe in your own life, in our world, here's the solution by a company called Vivos. Listen to what they have to say on their website. Whether we want to believe it or not, we are on the cusp of an increase in number and magnitude of events that may, in the twinkling of an eye, change the world as we know it. And then they go on to list a, a range of cataclysmic disasters, including Armageddon, plagues, a solar kill shot, a super volcanic eruption, major earth changes, killer asteroids and comets, mega tsunamis, an economic meltdown, not to mention man-made threats, including nuclear explosions, a reactor meltdown, biological or chemical disasters, terrorism, and widespread anarchy. But for a mere $35,000 per person, you can co-own an underground Vivos shelter in one of their airtight, fully self-contained, impervious complexes designed to survive any catastrophe. It gets better. The website advertises, our complexes comfortably accommodate community groups from 50 to 1,000 people. Okay, we could buy one as Christ Church East. In spacious living quarters, outfitted and stocked for a minimum of one year of autonomous survival to ride out the potential events. Every detail has been considered and planned for. Members need to only arrive before their facility is locked down and secured from the chaos above. Website goes on to warn that millions will perish or worse yet, struggle to survive but they boldly promise Vivos is your solution to ride out these catastrophes so you may survive to be a part of the next Genesis. Now, I read that. Uh, some of you might be thinking inside, hmm, it's not a bad idea with where we see the world going. Some of you are just laughing, and it's laughable. Here's what's striking. That's a real company. That's a real product that is being offered to real fear and its close cousin anxiety. Question is, what's the answer for fear, your fear and your anxiety? Because this morning with those of you in this room, there are a large spectrum, there's a large number of fears and anxieties. What do you do when you're overcome with the fear of terrorist attacks. That's real. What do you do when you're overcome with a fear of a medical diagnosis and what it could mean? 
or a fear of sending your kids off to school or a fear of an economic meltdown that could wipe out your lifelong savings or fear of your children discovering and becoming engrossed in destructive sin. What do you do with your fears? The Psalm 23 is one of many that King David wrote. He wrote a majority of the Psalms and a number of his Psalms address fear because David finds himself in a place of fear. And God graciously gives us these Psalms to teach us how to pray through fear and anxiety. As we launch this in a mini summer series in the Psalms, that's what we find is that the Psalms are a collection of prayers that are written to address the various circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in in life. And Psalm 23 addresses fear head on. And it teaches us to pray through fear, specifically to pray provision and to pray protection. So let's start with praying provision. Verses one through three, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The key phrase in these first three sentences is he restores my soul. That word restore means to turn back or to return. So you ask the question, why does the soul need to be turned back? And David's gonna use shepherd imagery to answer this question. You see, a shepherd's job was to lead sheep to life-giving water in the desert where it was scarce and to life-giving a food, green pasture in the midst of barrenness in the desert. That was a shepherd's job. If he didn't do that in the scarcity of the desert, that sheep would wander aimlessly and wander aimlessly. They had to be led. And what we learn here is that the soul, the human soul, it's a beautiful picture of the human soul that does the same thing, that our souls wander. And, and more than that, that they, 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 they get into a frenzy, a frenzied wandering of trying to find life-giving rest. Uh, Merle Haggard, I'm dating myself here. Some of you are going, yes, a Merle Haggard reference. Some of you younger people are going, what in the world, who is this? I'll tell you who he is. He's, the, uh, he's a country music icon, right? 38 kind of Billboard album, top 10 hits, I think 38 uh, number one singles. In other words, a, a very accomplished artist country music artist. He also had five wives, and he spent time in prison. Listen to what he says. There is a restlessness in my soul that I've never conquered, not with motion, marriages, or meaning. It's still there to a degree, and it will be till the day I die. He died a couple months ago. He died in April. The restlessness of the soul. And here's here's what happens. When fear and anxiety sets in, 
whatever produces it, I'm gonna get to a few of those examples, but when fear and anxiety sets in, right, the restlessness of the soul is magnified. That The soul becomes more restless. And it takes on the form of an inner panic, a medical diagnosis, rebellion of a child, a loss of job, school shooting, terrorist attack, Great Britain's exit from the European Union, if you're financially minded, if you work in that sector. There's a number of things that produce this, this inner panic in the soul. And then what happens is the inner panic runs to re- frenzied activity, like spending countless hours on the internet to find a solution, or, or preoccupation with your investments right, if you're fearing an economic meltdown or over-disciplining your children or putting the lockdown on your children. There's a number of things that when we become fearful and anxious and our soul begins to then wander and find something to find rest in, we start to get frenzied in our activity of finding something. And what's interesting to note in this psalm is, is what the sheep do. And David's uh, shepherding illustration here, imagery, what the sheep do when they get to food and water. Notice it says that they lie down in green pastures, that they lie down next to water. And what that communicates or suggests is this abundance of provision that would allow them to lie down because they know that when they get up, there's more food right there, or there's more water right there. That there's this abundance of provision. They don't wander aimlessly anymore. They don't even get up and move elsewhere. They sit and they rest because there's plenty of food and there's plenty of water. King David, when he uh, was in the wilderness of Judah, fearing for his life, in Psalm 63, he writes in Psalm 63, 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. The soul being satisfied. Jesus, our good shepherd, writes in the Gospels, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So praying provision that produces rest. But second, praying provision that produces gratitude. Gratitude. If you look at the end of verses five and six, it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and then into verse six, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David declares to God the feast that God provides in the midst of his enemies, in the midst of evil. Notice here that all of David's talk is not after he's removed from the situation, or removed from the presence of enemies. It's right in the middle of it. David says, God provides a feast. The anointing the head with oil, that was a cultural thing that was common in the day. When an honored guest would come over, you would anoint their head with oil. And if they had just traveled a distance walking through the hot desert sun, the anointing of the head with oil would would produce or bring this incredible comfort and refreshment when they came into the house. And David says, there's that and an overflowing cup, which means an overflowing cup of wine. God prepares this feast 
right in the middle of the evil, right in the middle of the enemies. When, you, when it seems like you're lacking everything, when evil's around, when brokenness is around you, uh, when you seem like you're lacking everything, there's a feast, is what this psalm is saying. Listen to how one commentator writes. He says, nothing is hurried. Now, he's, he's writing this comment, recognizing that David is, is eating this feast with the enemies at the door. Right? Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door. And yet God prepares a table and the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. When fear and anxiety set in, one of, one of the things that can be produced in the human heart is a lack of gratitude, and you've been there. When fear and anxiety sets in, you can go to, God, where are you? Why aren't you rescuing me? Why have you abandoned me? What we learn here is that praying provision, praying the provision of God in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the confusion, the chaos, the enemy, the evil, the trial, whatever it is, produces a tremendous amount of gratitude and peace in the human heart. Kayla Mueller, 26 years old. She had been part of a campus ministry at Northern Arizona University, and she was captured by ISIS, and on February 10th, 2015, U.S. officials confirmed that she had been murdered by her captors. She wrote a letter, spring of 14, about nine months early, early before her death, to her family. L listen to what she said. She started off with just telling them that she was okay, she's in a safe location, completely unharmed and healthy. But then listen, this is the meat of the letter. Listen to what she says. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I have come to a place in experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else. She goes on to relate in the letter, by God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I mean, she is in an ISIS camp about to lose her life and says, I felt tenderly cradled in free fall. She goes on to say, I have been shown in darkness light and I've learned that even in prison, one can be free. I am grateful. I have come to see that there is good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. So how do you pray through fear? You start by praying provision. Second, though, you pray protection, praying protection. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, what are the rod and the staff? Let's start with the rod. What is it? Psalm 2.9, in 
In Psalm 2.9, it's the object with which the Davidic rulers to break up the nations. Exodus 21.20, it's the object with which a man might strike a servant so hard that he kills him. The rod was what a shepherd would put on his belt to attack the animals that would attack the flock and therefore protect the sheep. That's what the rod was. What about the staff? What's that? Well, the staff was used to keep the sheep in order. It was used to knock down olives from the trees to feed the sheep. So you put those together and the the rod and the staff of God represent the power of God. But in, in two very distinct ways that are absolutely critical, essential to praying through fear, all right? The rod speaks of God's power exerted towards the evil forces around you. The staff speaks to God's power exerted towards you into your heart in the midst of the evil that's around you. The rod and the staff. Now, why is this of comfort? Again, I want you to note here that David is not writing this after he has been removed from the evil situation or removed from his enemies. He is writing this right in the thick of it, right in the presence of it. And he's saying, your rod and your staff comfort me. Now, how is that? The rod of God assures you that God is presently exerting his power towards the evil Uh, the enemies, the brokenness that is around you. And he does one of two things with that power, and this is important to understand. He either shields you from it or he allows it into your life. But both are his power actively at work, either shielding you from it or allowing it into your life. We see this in the Gospels when Jesus addresses Peter in Luke 22. And he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus allowed Peter to be sifted. He would go on to deny Jesus three times, but he returned. You see, the rod of God brings comfort because it assures you that nothing, absolutely nothing can come into your life unless it first passes through the hand of God. Now, what about the staff of God? The staff assures you that God is exerting his power towards you into your heart in the midst of the evil, in the midst of the enemies, in the midst of the trial. James chapter one, verses two to four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that, here it is, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's Psalm 23 language, I shall not be in want. I shall lack nothing. That's what James is saying here. And so when you combine those together, if the rod of God allows 
evil or trial into your life, then the staff of God assures that it's never without purpose, that God never wastes pain. In his book, Walking with God Through Suffering, uh, Tim Keller describes how uh, British shepherds would take uh, sheep, their sheep and rams, and they would put them into this trough that was a, basically a large vat of antiseptic liquid. And the shepherd would take the sheep and submerge them fully, ears, eyes, nose, and make sure they were submerged. Uh, and if the, if the sheep were to try to get out too soon, they had sheepdogs there barking and snapping at them to make sure they stayed in the trough. It was, it, it, it's a terrifying, frightening experience for the sheep. And yet, if they don't receive that treatment, they become victims of parasites and victims of disease. One Christian writer who actually witnessed this, pretty traumatic to watch, she witnessed this, and this is what she wrote. I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor rams. I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from the shepherd I trusted. And he didn't give me a hint of explanation. As I watched the struggling sheep, I thought, if only there were some way to explain but such knowledge is too wonderful for them. It, it is high. They cannot attain unto it. I'm referring to Psalm 139. We too have a good shepherd who protects us, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. So praying protection by the power of God, the rod and the staff of God, but also praying protection by the pursuit of God, by the pursuit of God, beginning of verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then the beginning of verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, important to understand here, again, I keep reiterating this and I'll, and I'll say why in a second, but David is speaking present of enemies that are presently before him. Oftentimes, shepherds would have to take sheep into the canyons to find water or green pasture because in the canyons, there was shade where the water would remain and where the pastures would grow or the green patches would grow. Out in the open, under the burning sun, the grass would be dried up, the water would be dried up. And so shepherds oftentimes would lead their sheep into the canyons. The canyons were also the place of danger because the wild animals would gather there as well. And so they would be uh, provided for and protected with literally evil at the door all around them. And what we learn here, and I think what Psalm 23 is driving to is this, the answer to your fear and anxiety is not evacuation. It's not removal from the situation or the circumstance. And yet that's oftentimes what we run to because we're addicted to circumstantial change. Our hearts are addicted to circumstantial change. And so it's, it's something like this. God, if you just rescue me, the pain would be gone and I'd be fine. God says, no, 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 no. 
I may take away the situation. I may remove you from it. I may not, but that's not what you need. Then what do you need? What is the answer? In verse six, there's a couple words here that are absolutely critical to understand. The first one is the word follow in verse six. It's a fairly weak translation. Uh, The word literally means to chase or to pursue. The word mercy, the literal word there is, or the, the, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's that, that word steadfast love that appears throughout the Old Testament. And so what we read here in verse 6 is that the steadfast love of God chases you and pursues you. That that's the only constant in your life. Your job may come and go. Your health may come and go. Your children may come and go. Uh, Your loved ones may come and go. Your finances may come and go. Everything about life may come and go. There's one constant that will, will never change or never leave you, and that's the steadfast love of God, that it chases you, that it pursues you right in the midst of the evil or in the midst of the enemies, or in the midst of the trial, the hardship, the pain. Francis Thompson, he's a 19th century, or was a 19th century British poet, and he, he wrote the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. Now, Thompson, was a, he was a Christian, uh, but he was a man who struggled with, with poor health, with poverty, with an addiction to opium, which at the time was an over-the-counter drug or over-the-counter medication. He struggled with all that, and and he struggled with with running, running from God. Listen to how he describes it. He says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him and under running laughter. I sped from those strong feet that followed, followed after me. And then later in the poem, Jesus pursues Thompson, and he describes that pursuit in this way, with unhurrying chase, in unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, and majestic urgency. Now, what's the evidence of God's steadfast love? What's the evidence of his pursuit of you? It's a trail of blood that we see begin in Genesis 3 when he kills an animal to provide covering for Adam and Eve after they had rebelled against him. The trail of blood continues through the animal after animal that was sacrificed in the tabernacle, in the temple. And it's a trail of blood that continues all the way to the cross. And by the time of the cross, it's a a puddle of blood at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for you. God has not abandoned you. He has not failed to rescue you. And I say that in the midst with great tenderness of of the myriad of situations that are in this room. From absolute suffering that is beyond comprehension to maybe what is a little bit more relative suffering or evil or trial. But in the midst of it all, the trail of blood is the evidence that blood has been shed for you. Ultimately at the cross that God has not abandoned you that his steadfast love chased you, pursued you, 
and continues to do so because the trail of blood continues symbolically with the cup that you're gonna drink this morning in the Lord's Supper, that you're gonna drink his steadfast love. And it's that cup that reminds us, that represents his provision, his protection, and is designed to wash away all your fear and all your anxiety. Let's pray.